0: Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor James Rankin. Today I'm continuing our series called Shaped by the Word and in particular today I'm looking at rooted in God's word. Now when I think about this word rooted it obviously leads me to roots and it leads me to the thought of trees and as I've got a little bit older, I've become to really appreciate trees. I always go as far as saying I love trees. I love a good tree, and uh, which kind of makes me chuckle inside. This would make Ian, one of our site pastors up in the north, laugh as well because there's a podcast by a guy called T- Tim Mackey where he kind of traces trees throughout the biblical literature. And Ian has listened to that for a while and he absolutely loves trees. But I think I'm I'm really getting there um i didn't realize we were going to go this way about how much i love trees but while i was over in the states i'll try and rescue this while i was over in the states about 12 years ago before we came to cardiff i got the opportunity to go and see the great redwood trees um, which are incredible they are probably the tallest trees on earth and so it was in this forest of these just ginormous trees where you crane your head back you know i can't believe it's that tall But then you see the size of the trunks in order for a tree to be that big the trunk is ginormous there was one place where one of the trees actually had a road cut through the middle that you could drive through isn't that amazing and but trees come in all different sorts of shapes and sizes don't they and a bit like us as individuals We're, we're very unique we're very different And so I want to be looking, I'm going to be looking at Psalm 1 as we talk about being rooted in God's word today. Psalm 1 gives a picture of what it looks like to be rooted in in God's scriptures. And, And it talks about a tree planted by streams of water, streams of living water. And, and the idea behind this is that the tree is there; its roots go deep, and so that any time it's being fed water and nutrients, and it's a healthy tree. And that's a picture of what it's calling us to be like as Christians. So uh, I'm going to read this: "Someone blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night." That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, in the growth cycle of fruit-bearing plants. So think about an apple tree for a moment. I've got a beautiful little apple tree in my garden. And so think about that. The cycle starts with a seed being planted into the ground. And when watered, the seed breaks open and begins to put down roots. So it begins to go downwards. That root system will continue to grow as the seed forms a shoot and it eventually breaks through the earth, uh, coming into the air and the sunlight. But both the plant and its root system will keep growing until the plant is strong and mature enough in order to bear fruit. Now, throughout the scriptures, it talks about us as his disciples, as apprentices of Jesus being fruitful. That's one of our missions is to bear fruit, good fruit that will last. But significantly, in order for a plant to survive, much less bear fruit, its root system has to take up more space underground than the plant takes above the ground. And when I was looking and thinking about these immense redwoods that I spoke about earlier, can you imagine the size of the root system needed to secure that tree, particularly when the storms come and the storms of life come? You know, it's drawing the analogy of us being like a tree. Those foundations have to go deep. Those roots have to go deep. They have to spread out all over the place. You know, you have to be careful about how closer a tree is to a house because it's so easy for the roots to get in you don't realize how far they travel and they get in under the foundations and they they begin to erode them but this psalm is saying that we're to be rooted and stable that if we're to be rooted and stable that we have to meditate on the law of the lord the scripture to the point of delight and if we do that we will be blessed and blessedness really means absolute well-being So the subject of Psalm 1 is saying it's not just about belief in God, but meditating on the scripture is what will bring blessedness. And it's a huge claim, isn't it? And it's easy to miss. Now, there are more places in the Bible that command us to meditate than you might think. When Joshua, for example, is dying and he's leaving the promised land, leaving his people in the promised land, sorry, Almost the last thing he says is this, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. The last thing he says, and if you have that, everything will go well. So what the psalm is teaching is that the person who learns to meditate is like a tree whose root goes down to underground streams. And it draws a stark distinction between this tree, the healthy tree, and then on the other hand, it starts talking about chaff. Now, Chaff isn't something that we're very familiar with today. It's, a, it's another metaphor, and it's the husk around the seed or the kernel in grain. And when you're threshing or winnowing the grain, which is something that I have never done and am um, and, um, unlikely to do, what happens though is the grain gets separated, the husk gets separated from the grain. And so this, um, the chaff is not very valuable. It's, it's light and it can easily blow away. So the key picture, though, is that it's not rooted. It can't produce anything. It's no ability to stay put. That's the contrast. One being rooted and meditating on the scriptures and the other just being like this bit of chaff that can get blown away. And it's a pretty confronting picture, isn't it, when you stop and think about it. These last nine months will have tested all of our foundations, all of our root systems. As a society, our foundations have been challenged. And in these moments, what is it that anchors us and keeps us stable when this storm blows through? How does the tree keep standing? I remember in, I used to live in Seven Oaks when I was grew up in Seven Oaks. And in 1987, there was a huge storm. And Seven Oaks was named after seven oaks around the, the green in the middle. Well, six of these got blown over because they were actually a bit rotten. And we became one oak for a while. But. In Psalm 1, which is a place that I return to again and again and again, we are given a picture of what it looks like to be this tree planted by streams of water. So how do we reach this place of delighting in God's law, his scriptures, his word? Well, delight is an incredibly beautiful emotion to behold. When you see somebody that is delighting, it's radiant. You're drawn to it. You're like, wow, that is so beautiful. And I often think of delighting in terms of relationships when you delight in somebody, you know, when you spend time with a friend that you just love, an old friend and you're like, I del- you like, you delight in their presence. Or it could be, you know, when you see somebody delighting in their child and the way that they look at them um, or a spouse or, you know, we delight in people. Uh, I've got another little example of delighting. One of my daughters eats her food in a really interesting way. So most children start with the things that they love and work out, don't they? They're like, and then they get to their vegetables or whatever it is, aubergine. That's the bottom of the vegetable pile. And they get there and they're like, oh, I don't want to eat this. Well, One of my daughters, she starts with the things she most dislikes, which is amazing because she always eats her food. Um, And you can see, so she just works her way all the way to the middle, to the thing that she most loves. And then when she hits that, she just savours it. And it, it, sometimes I'm like, come on, you've got to eat faster. We've got to go because it's <laughs> these little nibbles because she's delighting in this. Um, but that's, I don't know how strong that analogy is, but I think you know what I mean when you delight in something. That is what it's talking about, that our relationships with the scriptures is to be like, we are to delight in the scriptures. And that's what the psalm's encouraging. And how do we do that? We learn to meditate on it day and night, learning to lean on it, to put our full weight on it, to be sustained by it, to live in it. Now, we were made to meditate, that God designed us with the capacity to pause and ponder. It's almost just that stopping moment. It's like, hmm, ponder, you know, that thoughtfulness. And he means for us not just to hear him, but to reflect on what he says, to hear and reflect and then obey. And this is what part of what it means to be human is to stop and consider, to chew on something, to chew it over in our hearts and our minds, to work out how it makes us feel, to look at it from different angles. Well, if I look at it from here and I look at it, what's their perspective on this? We get get a better sense of its significance. Now, I realize that this word meditation has many different connotations in today's society. Even last night, actually, just as I was preparing, I got an email from David Lloyd. Now, I am not a David Lloyd member. Um, they would like me to be, uh, but I am not. But one of the things that it came up with, it said seven days of meditation. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really interesting. And then under it, it says this, try something new, escape the world, and take some well-earned me time with our seven-day meditation challenge. Take some me time. I was like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? The, the concept... For David Lloyd, or for much of society, is that it's it's all about me. You're like, ah, okay. When we are meditating, what is it that we're meditating on? We're meditating on God's truth. We're meditating on the scriptures, that we are filling ourselves with Him. So it's different. But the Bible uses two different Hebrew words to convey this idea of meditation, and together these words are used about 58 times. And they have various meanings, listening to God's word, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds. And in each case, there is a stress on changed behaviour as a result of encountering God. That we would change. That's the difference. You can read loads of scripture. It's like really interesting, 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 interesting and not change at all. Information, not transformation. And this is what, when we're, when we're talking about meditation, we are talking about being deeply changed. Christian meditation means having the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's Colossians 3, verse 16. Dwell in you. That's the process of meditation. It's feeding our minds on the words of God and digesting them slowly and dwelling and abiding in the truth. But it's not just the Old Testament scriptures that talk about meditation. Jesus modelled them what it looks like by withdrawing as well. Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. What did Jesus do time after time in those deserted hills? He sought out his heavenly father, he listened to him, he spoke to him, and he beckons us to do the same. Richard Foster says meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. It's that simple. In meditation, we're growing into what Thomas Akempis calls a familiar friendship with Jesus. Friendship with Jesus. I love that picture. So, so let's make this really practical because you could sit there and be like, James, you've t- spoken a lot about meditation. I'm, I'm convinced, you know, it's in the Psalms. It talks about it. How? How do I actually do this? Because meditation is not Bible study per se or even prayer. It's, a, it, it's neither and both combined. If that makes sense. So Richard Baxter says this beautifully, he says, it's taking the truth and praying it down into your soul till it catches fire, sets you on fire. It's a bit like that picture from Emmaus Road that I spoke about uh, in the first talk, setting us on fire. But what happens is you begin to see the truth in its personal connections. You actually begin to experience the power of the truth and therefore the presence of God pray them into your soul now the closest analogy to meditating is the word is the difference between reading a love letter and reading a textbook now when you come to a textbook what you do is you are just searching it for information you're trying to get it in here it's like remember 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 when you read a love letter the way that you come to it Is you weigh every word and you're like, oh, what did they mean by that? The parts that are confusing you agonise. You just read it much more slowly, don't you? You try and take it inside. You're like, oh, wow, that's how they feel. Or I didn't realise they felt that way. How annoyed they were by that. Um, But you begin to taste it. The parts that you do understand and that are so wonderful and glorious, you kind of let them form you. That's the way that you meditate. Now, St Augustine, who was a leader in the early church lived in the fourth and fifth century he came up with three parts to meditation which are incredibly helpful i think they the, the language was in latin so we just need to be careful that we don't kind of get a bit sidetracked by that because they might make you laugh the words a little bit because um i often say things like this but it's retentio complacio, and dialectio I actually invented a new word recently called chillaggio, and um, it just made me laugh thinking about this because it's actually just been really cold it's not quite as profound as this but we're going to go with retentio complacio, and dialectio so what do we mean by retentio he means distilling the truths of scripture and holding them centrally in your mind in other words spending time with god's word Now, one of the Hebrew words for meditate is the same word that's used to describe a cow that's chewing its cud. And so when a a cow chews its cud, it eats it and it goes down into the stomach and then it re-digests it. And it constantly keeps going over and over and over again until it goes into um, its stomach and its physical system and it's done. But it's a similar image. It's reading the passage over and over, turning it over, noticing the emphasis, maybe even rewriting scripture in your own words. That's such a helpful thing to do. Putting, it's not trying to put your emphasis on it, but it's like, what does this actually mean to me? So that's retentio. Then secondly, according to Augustine, you move from retentio, just doing that, to complacio. What that means is that you gaze at God through the truth. So you move from breaking down the truth into standing back and seeing the whole. Let me give you another example. It's the difference between studying the music and even studying the parts and singing the parts and then standing back and listening to the whole. You don't want in meditation to simply know about God. You actually want to see God through the truth. And one way that that happens is through asking questions. And I think that these questions can be so helpful. One of the problems in our society is the way that we approach scripture. And Alice started unpacking some of this is that we approach it just from a me angle. Everything is about me. And the danger is that I, firm, I put myself first. Scripture is first and foremost about God. And that's always got to be the starting point. So the, the first question that we're always asking is what does this tell me about God? We've got to start there. Don't say, what does this tell me about me? What does this tell me about God? And then secondly, as kind of a second verse, question sorry, that can be helpful is, how can I worship God on the basis of this truth? We lift him up, we put him in his rightful place. And then thirdly, how can I humble myself before him through this? So, We then come to us, we start with God and then we come to us. What does it show me about me? Is there anything that I need to confess? Let me go a little bit deeper with this. Fourthly, if God is really like this, what difference does this particular truth make to how I live today? What does it change? If this is true, what does it change? If I hold this out in front of me all day long, what difference would it make? Fifthly, how would my neighbourhood, my family, my church and my friends be different if they understand this? We begin to move from, we start with God, we then move to what is God speaking and then it's like, okay and what about, and what for other people? How would it change other people as a result of this? I don't know about you but when God reveals something to me, I'm a bit slow and he reveals something, I'm like, wow that is amazing. I get that moment of, what well, everybody's got to know about that. If it's changed me, Literally, it's going to change everybody else. And so what does it mean for other people? Number six, does my life demonstrate I'm remembering and living out of this all the day? And then finally, number seven, Lord, what are you trying to tell me about you? And why do you want me to know it now? Okay, this is a time specific thing. What is it that you're trying to pour into me right now? Why are you bringing this up? Why are you telling me this today? What's its importance? So that's the second thing, is that you begin to ask questions of the scripture. That's complatio. And then thirdly, dialectio, which is a thing which means delight. We come back to that word that we looked at earlier in the psalm and it talks about, and your delight is in the law of the Lord, that we reach this place of not just thinking about it, but actually not asking questions of it, but actually delighting in it. Um now we don't have a whole lot of control about this part because sometimes we'll read scriptures like wow that's really profound sometimes it's free it's like wow yes i can see that other times we're like i don't really know what that means i'll come back tomorrow but what happens in dialectio in your soul is very often that your soul becomes a palate. And you actually begin to taste that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And in that moment, you sit there and delight. And you're like, oh, God, you are so good. You have given so much to me. You are so beautiful. I'm so thankful. And so those three things can just be really helpful. Retentio, complacio, and dialectio um, as you come to the scripture. But don't get confused by the Latin words, um, but the O's. And then finally, I just want to finish with this. Being possessed by his promises. For many years of my walk with God, I thought it was more about the amount of Scripture that I consume rather than the depth of the impact. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've just got to read lots of Scripture. I've just got to get it in me. And do you know what? There's a time and a place to read vast reams of Scripture. Um, but actually, sometimes just chewing things over and sitting on them. Pausing and pondering can be the most powerful thing that you do. Let's take the last nine months for me, for instance. It's interesting that I've been... that The Lord has just spoken very clearly through different scriptures during this time. It's almost been in different two-month blocks I've been in different passages. Now, I would call this the watering holes, where you go and spend time, and you just keep coming back to the same thing, and it can be a phrase or a verse or a passage that you keep coming back to. So for me, it started as we moved into this as it was Psalm 91. It just starts, whoever dwells in the sh- shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. First of 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. And so for the first part of the bit, that was just the place that I kept coming back to. It's not that you don't keep reading other things, but the Lord's trying to speak to you in that moment. Dwell, 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 rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Then as we moved into kind of May and June for me, ephesians 6 suddenly became like this ephesians 6 10 to 18 about the armor of god was the place that i was residing and sitting in um stand firm then you know it's almost this and you know i taught the church on it as well because part of being the leader is sometimes that the places that you go god also takes everybody else It's stand firm you've got to stand up put on the full armor of god and it was a season of like each moment it's like put back on the armor Keep going through that and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So, yeah, we, we stayed in there for a while and then the Lord started speaking through Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help from come from? My help comes from the Lord. It was almost like a declaration moment of where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That was it. That was all that the Lord, but again, chewing. This week, I've been stuck in Ephesians 3, and it's just been a phrase. You being rooted and established in love. And for me, it's been around the roots, but you being rooted and established in love. Lord, what are you trying to say? What does this mean? And so these moments for me, these watering holes that I come back to have sustained me. They're the roots that go deep. And my heart in this series is that it's not just you know, just banging the Bible drum, you know, it's really, really important. It's like that actually that we would learn what it is to delight in the scriptures. I think that's the invitation that the Lord gives us. Delight. Come and delight in them, that you would reach that point where you're like, they are so beautiful. And that we found a way that we can engage with them as well, That they're, not this book over here, but they actually, we meditate on them day and night. That's the invitation. And that we chew them over and we let the Lord change us. So, Lord, just in finishing, I, I want to thank you for your word. That it's living and active, that it's a double edged sword. And Lord, I want to pray for all of us as we uh, people that are watching that you would know what it means to delight in the scriptures. I threw out a couple of weeks ago, what you, what is your relationship with the scriptures? But that you would know what it is to be able to delight in it because through it we see Jesus. The scriptures are fingerprints of Jesus. They lead us to God. So Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. And we want to love it with everything we've been given in Jesus' name, amen.